Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning to you online family as well. Can we clap our hands and welcome our online community from all over a number of states and even some countries join us every single week, so that's pretty cool. Thank you, pastors Chris and Jody, for the opportunity to teach this series. We will be concluding this Ode to Joy through the letter of Philippians this morning by tracking through chapter 4. And as we begin, I want you to think about the greatest speeches ever given. Perhaps Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. comes to mind and his famous I Have a Dream speech. Or maybe President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. But what if after stating, thank God Almighty we are free at last, Dr. King announced the location of the porta potties and solicited help to stack the chairs? <laughs> what if after stating government of the people, by the people, for the people, President Lincoln stated instruction to pick up the trash around your seat and everyone keep your horses under control as you exit the property. This is kind of how the end of Philippians can feel. So much moving and meaningful wisdom has been laid out, inspiration, and then is followed by the seemingly mundane. Many of Paul's letters ended this way, kind of anticlimactically. Paul had already laid a solid foundation and hammered some excellent points, and he's taken the members of the church at Philippi and us on an inspiring journey of theology and how to practically apply that in our lives. But Paul's not done. Now Paul gets even more practical, almost boring, with a few details and closing comments. But this last chapter is deceptively simple. So don't be misled by what may seem dull at first glance, because in typical Paul fashion and style, he adds some zingers into these verses, which were relevant for the Philippians, but also for us. And in doing so, Paul actually brings back all of the themes that he's already emphasized in the letter. And it turns out to be a great way to reinforce the message of capturing joy. So now that I have you really excited with great expectations for the word today, join me in Philippians chapter 4. We'll be reading all of it. We'll have it up here on the screen. It's also in the app along with some great fill-in-the-blank notes. But if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul continues his letter to the Philippians. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Sintichi, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, 
which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we know that truth transcends time. And just as it spoke to the Philippians many, many years ago, we trust and expect it to speak to us today. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice. We thank you for the light you've been shining on this letter for us, and we just ask that you continue to shine that light this morning. We want to know you more. We want to make you known, and we ask that you would use your word to help us do that. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God. And everyone said? Amen. amen. And amen. Verses 1 through 3. Restoring peace with believers. Paul starts with this word, therefore. This shows that what's to come is based on what was previously stated. He's bringing it all home. He'll be referencing the first three chapters of this letter all throughout this final chapter. And if there was any doubt about how much Paul loved the Philippians and how important they were to him, then this clears it up. He says, they are his joy. It's one thing for someone to bring you joy or for an experience to bring you joy, but Paul said, you Philippians are my joy. That's another one, guys, you might want to jot down to, to tell your lady sometime later, baby, you are my joy. That's powerful. That's profound. 
He's communicating to the Philippians that he considers them to be the very best example of what his ministry is all about. Establishing churches and seeing Christians grow in spiritual maturity with the Lord and with each other. That's what he's saying. He also refers to the Philippian church as being his crown. Now, a crown is not the most popular accessory in our culture, unless you're on the beauty pageant circuit or a dad with daughters, then maybe you've worn a a tiara from time to time. But back then, a crown had great significance. And this reference of a crown could have reminded the Philippians of two kinds of crowns that were popular in those days. The first is a victor's crown. The winners of Greek games didn't get a trophy or a medal or an oversized check. The reward was a wreath, a wreath of intertwined olive leaves and olive branches that created a crown. And that might seem pretty modest to us, but this crown was the ambition and goal of every Greek athlete competing because it acknowledged their accomplishment. It might have also reminded them of a guest's crown. Special guests at a banquet were often given a crown for the evening. And this crown would signify their special role or their VIP status, you could say, for that night's activities. This may have been where the idea for the party hat was born. And we don't know for certain which, if either, Paul was referencing here, but If he was referencing one of them, I lean towards the victor's crown just because it was consistent with some of the other sports analogies we've seen from him, both in this letter and some others. Paul considered himself a spiritual athlete, a spiritual trainer. He had just told them in chapter 3 to pattern their lives after his, to follow his example. And so I think he may have considered the Philippians his wreath that acknowledged his ministry. Or maybe he was looking ahead to the party that would take place in heaven and the Philippians would be the crown that symbolized the cause for celebration. Notice, when Paul compliments the Philippians, he also cautions them to stay true, the New Living says. Other versions say, say stand firm or connected with the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Now, to stay true does not mean to stay put, To stand firm does not mean to stand still. He was instructing the Philippians to keep walking with the Lord, keep in step with his spirit, stay close with him, but keep advancing the kingdom. Because the Philippians, as we've discovered, have come a long way, haven't they? They continue to grow in spiritual maturity, but they had to keep working on their relationship with the Lord. We all do, amen? Church, keep working on your relationship with the Lord. We don't work for our salvation, but we do work it out. Your work with the Lord, your walk with the Lord cannot be taken for granted. Stay true. Stand firm. Like any relationship with a friend, if it's neglected, if it's ignored, it will deteriorate. Stay true. Stand firm. Paul didn't want the Philippians to get complacent, to get comfortable or satisfied with their spiritual status quo. He wanted them to stay intimately connected with Christ and get even more close to him. Not because he's afraid of losing his crown, 
but because he wants them to keep experiencing the joy of knowing Christ more and more. Next, we see Paul address another disagreement. He had already spent some time in chapter 2 talking about interpersonal relationships and friction within the church. Well, there's another one. Apparently, two women in the church, Euodia and Sintichi, and that's the closest pronunciation I could find with the little Google tool, Euodia and Sintichi couldn't get along with each other. This is so hard to believe, isn't it? Two women arguing in the church? Nah. I have my moments too where, you know, I get on those hills and I'm going to die on and I'll argue about it too. Lord, help me. Paul doesn't mention any specifics about this disagreement, so it was probably pretty obvious to those in the church at Philippi. And Paul spares us the details and the drama, but he still brings the intensity. He appeals to these two women by name. Remember, this letter was not just written to these two women. It was written to the entire church. And as we've established, these letters written to local churches were circulated to other churches so that all the believers could be edified by the apostles' writing. He calls them out by name in this letter urgently requesting that they settle this difference. He even throws in a, please, please. And then he reminds them that they both belong to the Lord. They had both worked together in furthering the good news. He was showing them, ladies, you've got more in common. You agree on more things than you disagree on. Let's focus on those things. I think that's a great reminder for all of us this morning. Amen? So he even directs some others to get involved in the process, although we're not exactly sure who. From what Paul had already shared in Philippians 2, the early verses, he's letting them know that like, the whole interpersonal relationships and the joy that you're experiencing in the church of Philippi is at stake here if this friction continues. That's why he calls it out. And think about this, Euodia and Sintichi, they probably never expected that their names would be remembered more than a generation or two after their death. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're still reading their names and talking about them. Unfortunately, all we know about them is that they were two women in a quarrel. That's a sad reputation to be attached to your name for 2,000 plus years. What if your reputation was reduced to a single sentence? How would your life and your personality be characterized? My favorite line from one of my favorite movies, Gladiator, is what we do in life echoes in eternity. How true that is. So church, let's be busy living our lives full of joy knowing Christ and making him known. Amen? We all have those days, right, where where we're just like, yo, I wish somebody would just test me today, right? (laughs) But let's do our best to choose joy. That's what it is. It's a choice, and it's always on the table. We can choose it. All right, verses 4 through 9, maintaining focus on Christ. Verses 4 and 5. Let's flash back to Paul. He's still in prison. Not for a crime, but for speaking about Jesus. And he may be executed at any moment. He writes to his friends in Philippi, always be full of joy in the Lord. 
The NIV says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he sounds like a mom because he repeats himself just in case you weren't listening. I will say it again, rejoice. This could be the theme verse for the entire letter of Philippians. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a great verse for a coffee mug with a pretty cursive font. Always be full of joy in the Lord. It's perfect for a refrigerator magnet. It works well on a greeting card. Stitched on a decorative throw pillow? Sure. You sound super spiritual when you tell somebody to rejoice in the Lord always. Can I be honest? No, lie to us, Daniel, right? (laughs) Okay, you asked for it. Full disclosure, I don't like it when people quote that verse to me. If I'm in the middle of a difficult situation, if I've got a flat tire and it's 102 degrees outside, or I just found out I have to have a tooth extracted, or my wife or my kids are sick, Daniel, you just need to rejoice in the Lord always. I know what the Bible says. I know it's the truth. I'm not arguing that. I just don't want to hear it right that second. I can't believe he said that. I imagine some of you may have thought it. One reason I don't like that verse quoted to me is because I have to wonder about the person saying it. Do you rejoice in the Lord always? Really? Now, you might wonder about Paul. He told people to rejoice in the Lord when he was in prison. But did he rejoice in the Lord when he was in prison? He did. He did. On one occasion, one occasion of the many that Paul is in prison, he's with his buddy Silas. Can you picture them? They're thrown into the the prison cell, into the cold, hard ground. I imagine with some open wounds, there's no doctor, no nurse, no Band-Aid, no Advil. Have you been there before? Perhaps you hit the ground with the loss of a loved one. Perhaps you hit the ground discovering that a kid was on drugs. Perhaps you hit the ground being wrongfully terminated from your employment. In those difficult situations, what do you do? What did Paul and Silas do? They praised God. What was Paul doing in prison? Always rejoicing. Now, there's a couple things we can take from this. First, they were praising God for the who, not the what. Praising God for the who and not the what. They were bloody and bound up in prison. If you would ask them, guys, what are you praising God for? I don't think there was any what that they could point to. Nothing good was happening, but their God was still good. They weren't praising God for the what. They were praising him for the who. You and I can do that too. I'm reminded of a worship song that my wife sang to us a few nights ago at, in our bedtime routine. It's a song titled, Because of Who You Are. It has some beautiful lyrics. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and sing. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, my Prince of Peace, and I worship you because of who you are.
Maybe you feel like there is no what to praise God for. I'm sorry. Everything's falling apart. You're barely holding on by a thread. I'm sorry. God is still the who that deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. Your circumstances might be mad, bad, but God is still good. He is still near. His promises are still true. His love is still unconditional. His timing is still perfect. His grace is still amazing. You may not like the what of what's going on, but you can still praise God for the who of who he is. Amen? Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. For God is our ever-present help in time of need, and he's worthy of our praise always. Second, they were praising God before the provision. Paul and Silas praised God before the provision. So often we hold off on praising God until he provides what we want. Think about that. Doesn't it sound like an entitled little brat? I'm not going to be grateful until I get exactly what I want. Right? We've all done that, but we're better than that, church. And more importantly, God deserves much better than that. Paul and Silas praised God before the provision, before he answered their prayers, before he changed the circumstance. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person Christ expects his followers to be. That's the kind of followers that he deserves to have. Third, they were praising God and then he showed up. They were praising God and then he showed up. They're worshiping God in the middle of the night and then boom, God shows up. It's Acts 16 verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. They did not praise God because he showed up. God showed up because they praised him. When we praise him, he will show up. It's like the field of dreams. If you build it, he will come. If we praise him, he will come. God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? Amen. Verses 6 and 7. Have you ever been gripped by worry or fear? I think we all have. But worry is a completely unproductive emotion. An emotion that I too often waste my time with. But I've found, I've learned, that worry is the advance interest we pay on troubles that seldom come. Isn't that good? Worry is the unnecessary attention and energy that we give some possibility that often doesn't happen. This verse, these verses give us the best antidote for worry. Prayer. God wants to be the first one that you turn to in times of worry or crisis. He should be our first response, not our last resort. And when God is our first response, he promises something if we will do some things. Number one, stop worrying and start praying. Don't ever think that your need is too small or insignificant for God's attention. He wants us to pray about everything. And the next time you're tempted to worry, 
about something, channel into prayer all of the energy that you would have put into worry. Pastor Chris has said, if we prayed as much as we worried, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. So don't worry, start praying. Number two, tell God your needs. Even though God is all-knowing, he's well aware of your situation, he cares because he's a good father, he desires that you verbalize that need to him. He desires that you intentionally and consciously place that in his hands. So talk to him about your worries. And the word says, thank him for what he's done in the past. I think, I think too often we can have such a short memory when it comes to remembering the faithfulness of God. I think about the Christmas presents that we get our kids, especially the ones that they just had to have. Sometimes they play with that thing for like a month and then forget all about it. And then spring cleaning comes around and you find it in the back of the closet covered in dust. Parents, have you ever experienced that sort of thing? Church, I wonder if, if we're just like that when we neglect to remember and thank God for what he's done in the past. Let's be quick to thank God for what he's done, for his faithful track record. Maybe you feel like he hasn't done anything lately. Well, hasn't he already done enough? And he'll do more. I promise you he will. You keep following him. But let's remember his faithfulness in the past. Amen? So stop worrying. Start praying. Tell God your needs. Thank him for what he's done. Number three, present your request with thanks. Instead of praying with doubt, pray with fear and thank God in advance for what you are believing for him to do. Because if he said it, he will do it. Just like Paul and Silas praised in advance, let us with hearts full of faith pray and give thanks in advance. That prayer could sound something like this. Lord, here's my problem. I know there must be some kind of purpose in it, but I'm just not seeing it right now. It's too big for me, so I'm putting it in your hands. I'm not going to worry about it. Instead, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to even thank you in advance because I know that you know what you are doing in this situation. And if you said it, I'll believe it. If we do these things, then God promises us something, and that is his peace. Number four, receive God's peace. This is the promise. And in the original Greek text, this verse means that God's peace will literally mount a guard around your heart and mind to keep you and protect you during those difficult times. I always picture the guards at Buckingham Palace in those big furry hats. I'd, I'd love to see a guardian angel wearing one of those big furry hats. That would be awesome. Now, Church, these are not easy things to do, but if you want to overcome worry and experience God's peace, these are things that you must consciously and intentionally be doing. And if God is in control of your life, you can trust that he will take care of what you need, and that peace will become the foundation of your joy. Verses 8 and 9, staying focused on Christ gets trickier when you're worried about all the little details of your life, the bills, the groceries, the due dates, the schedules, the transportation, etc., experiencing the joy of Christ is harder when your mind is occupied with thoughts and attitudes that are contrary 
to the nature of Christ. Paul gave the Philippians and us a solution for this. He says, keep your mind fixed or filled with thoughts that are consistent with the nature and character of Christ. Here's that list again. Things that are true, honorable, lovely, pure, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Paul doesn't define these. He doesn't get any more specific than that. But because of the Holy Spirit, we have an internal gauge for all of these things. We can recognize what is pure and what is impure, what is true and what is false. And we should be referencing this list as often as we can to determine if what we are thinking meets the criteria. Whether we're watching TV or scrolling through social media or in a conversation with someone or any other situation, we should be filtering our thoughts, making sure they line up with this list in God's word. We should be fixing and filling our thoughts with the nature and character of Christ. Amen? Verses 10 through 19. Another thank you and the secret of contentment. We can almost forget that this was a thank you letter, right? That's how it started. But Paul never forgot. And even though he had thanked them earlier in the letter, he thanks them again in these next verses for their support and for being his partners in ministry. Paul loves the Philippians, not because they had sent him some financial support, but because of their ever-increasing devotion to Christ. And he spells this out for them. He really wants them to understand he appreciates their concern for him, which he says has been ongoing. Sometimes they were able to express that with money. He was grateful for that. But sometimes they weren't able to send anything. But he never questioned their commitment to him and their partnership in his ministry. Of all the churches he was associated with, the Philippians were the most loyal supporters, spiritually as well as financially. And Paul didn't want them to think that this was a, a disguised plea for more money. So he tells them, money isn't important. I've got all that I need right now and more is what he says. And he never said that wealth was bad. It isn't. He never said living in poverty makes you more godly because it doesn't. And he had lived in both conditions. He was saying that he was content. He was satisfied. It was well with his soul no matter which he was living in. He knew God was in control. He knew that God was his supply. And that thought brought him joy over and over again. His surrounding circumstances became irrelevant. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. And in making this point, Paul writes a couple of his most important verses buried to the back of this letter in the middle of a financial discussion. He reveals the secret of how he had found joy in life regardless of his circumstances. He says, I know a secret, a secret to contentment. When I think about being content, I usually think about the things that I'm not content with. Like the Rolling Stones said, I can't get no satisfaction, right? But what does the Bible say about contentment? Contentment is not the absence of trials and temptations and struggles. It's not when those things are removed from our life. It's not when we're given all the little things that our hearts desire. 
that does not lead to contentment. In fact, those who receive the most things are often the least content. Have you ever experienced that? If you want kids that are content, do you give them everything their little hearts desire? No, that just feeds the monster that is the enemy of contentment. The ingredients of contentment are love and joy and peace and gratitude and humility and service to Christ. If you have true contentment, it only comes from Christ. You can't find it in anything or anyone else. Verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. And then he reveals that secret right away. Has anyone ever told you that they had a secret, they had something they had to talk to you about, but then they couldn't talk to you about it right then and there? You ever had that? That drives me crazy. Don't do that to me, please. Paul didn't do it to the Philippians. Don't do it to me. He reveals a secret right away in verse 13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Hmm. Knowing that he had the help of Christ at all times and in every situation, Paul had the strength to do anything. He didn't go into any city, into any prison cell alone. He knew that Christ was in him, with him, for him. Amen? Contentment is such a gift from God. It's a gift that you can receive from God. I think that, that God gives this gift of contentment to Christians who, like Paul, see him, see Christ in specific ways. Walk with him in particular ways. Paul said, Christ is my purpose. Philippians 1:21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ is my purpose. Paul said, Christ is my pattern. Philippians 2, verse 5. Having the same attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ is my pattern. Paul said, Christ is my prize. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christ is my prize. And Paul said, Christ is my power. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ is my power. Church, if Christ is your purpose for living and the pattern you follow, the prize you are longing for and the power you are walking in, then you will experience real contentment. The purpose, the pattern, the prize, and the power. Paul encourages the Philippians that God will supply everything that they need just as he had always supplied everything that he had need of. Paul knew that God would not call him to do something that he has not already provided provisions for along the way no matter how many he may need. I feel like the Lord even, even told me yesterday that that's a word for Destiny Church. Pastor Chris was talking about we just celebrate our 10th anniversary, our 10th birthday. God would not call you guys to plant this church. There would not be a Destiny Church if he was not going to provide everything that you needed along the way. And there's more provisions to come. Amen. God will supply all of your needs in the same way, just as he did for Paul, just as he did for the Philippians, from his supply of glorious riches. And his supply never runs out. 
And it's not limited to specific kinds of needs. It covers every need. God can and will cover every single need you have. What do you need? Ask him today. And then look to him for the solution. Don't look to anything or anyone else as your supply. It's him. Yes, God can use other things and other people, but he is always the source. He is behind every good and perfect gift that he gives. It's his supply, and we have access to that supply through Jesus. We've got more access than we're aware of. We have more access than we're accessing. It's there. So if you find yourself worrying more than rejoicing or living discontent, perhaps you're assuming too much responsibility for your life. Who else is supposed to? What do you need to lay down? What do you need to yield or surrender? What problem are you trying to solve on your own? What are you trying to control that is really out of your control? Let God have control. The Lord's working on me in this area, church, because I like having control. And I'm learning that there are things I had the illusion of control over, and I never had control at all. And it is a humbling experience, but it is a freeing experience. Give God control of that situation, of that, that thing, of every area of your life. Let him have control. And then rest in the fact that God is capable of handling it. Amen? Rejoice in the knowledge that God will do a better job with the details of your life than you ever could. Verses 20 through 23. Now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew that this generation, the Philippians in particular, was not the first to receive God's blessing, and they would not be the last. God is God, and he never changes. The word says in Hebrews, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God was worthy of praise from former generations, and he remains worthy of praise today. Amen? He'll be worthy of praise tomorrow and forever throughout all eternity. So we give him the glory now. Now, as in the present time or moment, is the time to give God glory and you've got nows every single day to give him glory. It's always the right time to give glory to God because he has always been and always will be worthy of glory, honor, and praise. Now, the closing remarks in verses 21 through 23 are pretty self-explanatory, but there's two things I wanted to highlight for us. First, Paul says, greet all who belong to Christ. This is not just referring to the church at Philippi, but to all believers. We are to greet, be in relationship with those from different backgrounds, different denominations, those inside our church and outside of our church body. Christians should have a special bond with one another, no matter what denomination they come from or church they worship at, because there's more we agree on than we disagree on. Amen? If Jeep owners and motorcycle riders can have their own special little wave to one another down the street. They can't the body of Christ greet one another as we see each other. 
When I see somebody who has the same favorite sports team as me, if they've got a, a jersey or a hat on, like I've got an instant connection to that person. Total stranger. Don't have a clue about them or their background, where they've been, but there's this instant camaraderie. How much more so with our brothers and sisters in Christ, inside and outside of the local church, amen? So while all believers are being addressed here, the church of Philippi is also being addressed. So let's bring it in even a little more. Let's look at it within Destiny Church. We should do our best to greet everyone, as many as we can, every Sunday morning that we gather. No one should leave here feeling invisible, like they weren't loved and acknowledged. I don't do a good job at this. I get tunnel vision and just want to get things done, all right? So I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. I've intentionally this morning tried to say hello to more people because I was going to preach it, and now y'all can hold me accountable, okay? All right? It's okay to be closer with certain people. That's fine. That's normal. But let's be intentional to greet as many as we can on a Sunday morning inside the walls of Destiny Church. Amen? Second, notice the reference to Caesar's household. Paul's not suggesting that Caesar himself and his family were sending love to the Philippians. That's not what was happening. Paul was referring to the Christians who were working in Rome. Paul couldn't reveal their names, and there may have been even too many to mention, but Christians, many who had become Christians because Paul was there, had be, they were working for Caesar. They were working for the Roman government. They were Christian secretaries and Christian security guards and Christian administrators and Christians infiltrating and influencing the Roman Empire for Christ from the inside out. Christ was permeating the operation in Rome, and that was great cause for rejoicing. Remember in Philippians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul said, Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Are you representing Christ at your job? The Christians in Rome were. Are you influencing the culture and affecting change in your work? The Christians in Rome were. And I understand some offices and some environments are a little trickier to navigate than others, but they can't be more complicated than Rome at that time. And the truth is God can use any of you at any place at any time to shine like bright lights for him in this dark world. In closing, Paul's message to us in verse 23 is may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ended his letter right where he began. The grace of Almighty God. He did this with a number of his letters. The Apostle Paul never got over the grace of God. Neither should we. This letter, as with Paul's life, started and ended focused on the grace of God and thankful for the grace of God. It was the grace of God that brought him joy regardless of what happened to him. 
And so the letter ends. It starts with grace and ends with grace. It starts with Paul stating that his imprisonment has advanced the gospel. Him being in chains actually spread the good news further. And then it ends with this reference we just looked at that proved it. The Christians in Rome were permeating the area. This could be the greatest illustration that adversity and difficult circumstances are really no threat at all when you experience the joy of knowing Christ and seeing him at work in the details of your life. Now again, maybe you haven't seen him in the details of your life lately. Maybe you've lost sight of what God has done for you. Maybe it's, it's been a while since you've seen God do something in your life. Might I lovingly suggest, look harder. Look again. Remember. Maybe you've been looking for the home run, but you've missed the singles and the doubles along the way. Sometimes you just take the walk and still get on base. God is still moving, even in what seems mundane. God is still with you in the middle, in the waiting, and he's working for your good because he's a good father. Amen? And he never runs out of what we need. His supply never runs dry. If we need peace, he can give us the peace that passes understanding. If we need comfort, he is the God of all comfort. If we need wisdom, he is our supply for that. Paul had confidence in the Lord's supply, and so can we. Paul had confidence in the Lord's salvation, and so can we. Paul placed his hope and trust in Christ alone, and so can we. Paul knew that Christ was still working on him, so can we. Paul reframed his circumstances, and so can we. Paul had the humble attitude of Christ, and so can we. Paul shined like a bright light for Jesus in this dark world, and so can we. Paul followed Christ's example of serving others, and so can we. Paul experienced the joy of knowing Christ in every step of his journey, and so can we. Paul forgot the past looked forward, striving towards the prize, and so can we. Paul rejoiced in the Lord no matter what, and so can we. Church, Paul went through the ringer, yet he still lived a peace-filled life, a joy-filled life, a content life, and confident life, and so can we. So can you. Do you believe it? <laughs> 